Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. Here we are again at the end of the rap music plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, this is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. Who is Kendrick Lamar? This may sound like a dumb way to start a review of one of the two, maybe three biggest names in rap of the past decade. But I ask this question with all seriousness, because who really is Kendrick Lamar? When you think of Kendrick, the actual human being, what comes to mind? Throughout his career, he's painted us personal narratives, surely. But most of these narratives were often part of a larger allegory or thematic backdrop or concept that related to more than just Kendrick's own life and applied to his community of black folks in America and or society as a whole. And even when the topics were more personal and directly related to Kendrick's life, they were often shrouded in metaphor or simple cogs of a grander concept for one of his albums. The end goal was never to paint Kendrick's own experiences and perspectives as a single solitary person and derive a certain meaning from it. But on his latest album, Five Years in the Making, 1855 Days, as he puts it in the intro track, Kendrick shifts focus and creates what I believe to be the anti-Kendrick album. Yeah, some things haven't changed. Kendrick still loves himself some beat changes, his reverse samples, a concept that drives the album's narrative and some heavy subject matter too. But how this heavy subject matter is explored is not so neatly straightforward and easy to digest. Instead, it's highly provocative and downright confusing at times, less concerned with the end result of how it will be received by us, the audience, and more concerned by it just existing in its purest most muddy form, which I feel makes Big Steppers sort of an anti-Kendrick album because if Kendrick's been known for anything, it's this meticulous handle over cohesion and detail in a concept or theme. Yet this album is truly unhinged and chaotic in its presentation, sounding eerily similar to the style of music that Kanye's been doing ever since The Life of Pablo. Kendrick's now much more comfortable loosening his grip and opening the world up to the inner workings of his psyche where his thoughts are as coherent as we've come to know from Kendrick or not. While this kind of approach makes for a much messier artistic statement, it's certainly more human. That's why this album feels the most personal for Kendrick. It's not just due to the very direct, introspective subject matter, it's more crucially due to the looser Kendrick performance and artistic focus 
that shows Kendrick transparently bursting at the seams. Kendrick rejects his traditional inclinations to micromanage every single detail and just lets it all out, imperfections and all, which makes Big Steppers feel markedly different than anything he's ever created before. Now, although this album is more scattered than anything he's made to date, there is still a clear structure and theme that sets a necessary foundation for this album. Through many interludes, a clear concept emerges of this album working as a pseudo-therapy session for Kendrick, where the first of the two discs, the Big Stepper side, sees Kendrick indulge in his vices and the negative traits he's exhibited over the years, stemming from his childhood trauma. While the Mr. Morale side is the confrontation and acceptance phases of his growth and processing of the trauma he carried through his life. Naturally, as a kid from a poor neighborhood in Compton, he fell victim to many of the expected societal ills those growing up in that kind of environment would be expected to deal with. So the topics explored by Kendrick will certainly resonate with a large amount of people listening to this album. But make no mistake about it, unlike To Pimp a Butterfly, which was also personal, but ultimately painted Kendrick's story as an allegory, a symbol of sorts for a whole generation of black people, Big Steppers is truly inward in its focus, interested more in exploring Kendrick's healing first and foremost, stripped of any metaphorical barriers between him and the audience. In a nutshell, he approaches the discomfort head-on and makes the listener uncomfortable, putting a mirror up to the listener in the process. This makes Big Steppers a particularly interesting listen because it's unique to see an artist tackle such hot-button societal issues with such a loose and evolving perspective. That may sound more troubling and ignorant if you're on the Big Steppers side and likely to sound more mature if you find yourself on the Mr. Morale side of this album. In the spirit of extreme transparency, Kendrick often pontificates stray thoughts about complex subjects he may not fully understand yet and will readily admit so. And he does this in a way that doesn't make his final conclusion on the matter, if it exists at all, all that clear to the audience. A prime example is on the track Mr. Morale, where Kendrick poses a question on if R. Kelly would have done the awful abusive things he's done had he not been abused as a child. Or on We Cry Together, where Kendrick plays the role of an ignorant man in a domestic dispute with his girl. Based on the framing of the song, you may assume the song is simply going to see Kendrick be the toxic male figure and the girl be the angry but albeit correct victim in the situation. But instead, although Taylor Page's character is spitting many facts in this situation, it's not like she isn't crossing many lines either on her end. So if the idea was to truly show a little bit of good and bad ideas from both Taylor and Kendrick's perspectives, what are the parts of Kendrick's perspective on this song that the real-life Kendrick would actually co-sign today?
was his stupid retort to Taylor that referenced R. Kelly's abuse that basically sounded like, shut up, you listen to his music though, actually a real belief he held as some kind of gotcha. And if you think I'm reading too much into this, by the way, here's some very relevant context that when R. Kelly's music was going to get pulled off Spotify years back, Kendrick legit threatened to remove his music from the platform if they did so, showing that there is reason to believe that he thinks there's some truth to at least some part of his verses on this song. As I've just illustrated, the point really is not about the R. Kelly stuff specifically, it's more generally that I can't always follow the end goal of what Kendrick is getting at on this album, and it's mainly due to this specific style of social commentary that I think is really hard to pull off. Because it's hard to write with such nuance to clearly articulate a point while making your true beliefs a bit ambiguous to the listener. In both examples I just gave you, it isn't clear what Kendrick actually believes or is just playing up to perform a certain character instead of presenting his thoughts in the much more simple allegorical style of To Pimp a Butterfly that was neatly tied up by a poem that summed up the entire theme of the album, or donning an explicit topical focus where each track was really focused on one particular thing, on Damn. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers takes place in the middle of a transformation, not at the end where the conclusion is not always known or understood, because Kendrick's transformation is not complete either. So the audience really has no choice but to sit there and deal with it and try to parse together what they can. How Kendrick approaches these topics is certainly bold and makes for an album that is very powerful and moving in many moments, other times, though, it feels like a spectacle without direction. At every turn, Big Steppers is an album that seems hell-bent on sharing something that will make just about every person on Earth uncomfortable to one degree or the other, no matter the political ideology, honestly. And boy, does it accomplish this goal. As Kendrick shows, he believes real transformation certainly cannot happen in silence, diving headfirst into the muddy waters of voicing his apprehension that he feels and or felt in the past towards the idea of trans identity, toxic masculinity, feminism, and cancel culture. An incredibly controversial example of this transformation occurring right before our eyes is on Auntie's Diaries. Before I move forward, I want to make it clear that obviously I'm not trans, so I'm not here and I don't think it's my place to either, to convince anyone that the use of dead names and or the F slur that Kendrick employs on this record should be or shouldn't be accepted by the trans community. The factions of the trans community that are upset or disappointed by the song for these reasons have every right to be, and I get it. I instead will be speaking from only the perspective I know, and that is a straight dude and explain why I think it's important to hear a song like this with pro-trans rhetoric specifically coming from an artist like Kendrick and specifically in the manner, generically in the manner that he did so. 
instead of centering the song around the two trans family members referenced in this record, Kendrick centers the song around himself, his experience being from the vantage point of a straight dude from Compton in a heavily religious community. That was the first element of this song that I found to be very noteworthy, because it needs to be understood that this song is not made for the trans community. Believe it or not, it is not. It's actually made for non-trans people, specifically for folks from his upbringing and religious background who Kendrick thinks need to start accepting trans people as the completely valid human beings they so obviously are. The other vitally important element of this song is that Kendrick is speaking in a manner that avoids the typical echo chamber type language that those on the left often employ when it comes to subjects like this. Instead of saying something like trans rights or human rights 50 times, or making a song about how terrible it is for people to be transphobic, obviously neither of those things would have been wrong or something you'd hear me say anything about really. That's great. Those songs should exist too. But what Kendrick actually highlights on this song is specifically the conflicting feelings many have with their religion as it relates to trans acceptance, which I find is more powerful and impactful to the hearts and minds of people who are not already accepting of trans people versus making a four-minute scathing critique towards folks who are anti-trans, which wouldn't have been nearly as affecting and these people probably would have just turned the song off. Instead, Kendrick details specifically his journey to acceptance, explicitly showing how he decides to support and love his trans cousin, even if it means going against the church. I find that is so powerful because we all know how powerful the church is, especially in the black communities that people like Kendrick grew up in. So this was a topic I think Kendrick did some good with, even if at the end of the day, I just have to say, I think his use of the F slur was just unnecessary. It didn't need to be said. Everything else could have stayed the same and it would have been just as powerful. But not every one of these heavy topics on this Big Steppers album were handled as well, in my opinion. Because another item on Kendrick's laundry list of topics that he doesn't want us to tap dance around is cancel culture. <sighs> Listen. I am so fucking done with this shit, man. I'm so sick and tired of celebrities and rich people complaining about getting cancelled as they move into their fifth mansion or host their latest Netflix special. They clearly aren't even facing any repercussions that are material in any significant way. I think that's something that many people, especially on the left, would agree with, correct? But if you agree with the sentiments I just laid out, I'm sure you also agree with me then that Kendrick's critiques of cancel culture rang hollow on this album. They felt more like misguided complaints that lacked in any and all substance. But here's the point where our views may begin to diverge because although I agree with the point I just made, my full stance on this subject I find differs from commonly held left-wing ideas. Let me explain. 
I find it very concerning how we as a society pick and choose who we shame, who we attempt to ostracize and attack, and who we lend multiple handfuls of olive branches of understanding to. It's not consistent, and it's often really, really muddied by a whole bunch of factors that should not be included in the conversation of of how we should treat someone in a situation where they did something shameful or wrong. We the people have proven to be an awful arbiter of justice with a dangerous allergy to nuance and a savage attraction to adopting this tribal us versus them behavior at almost every turn. And this clearly dovetails with the fact that society, even significant portions of those on the left, still wildly and vehemently accept the fucking savage and immoral death penalty and just generally extremely vicious and punitive criminal justice interventions for those that did something wrong. Go look at anybody that has done something not just petty but pretty significantly bad which obviously is not a good thing it's bad and go look at the comments and the replies that you'll see on social media people want these people stoned people want these people castrated people want these people put on an electric chair so i think there is a valid and vital conversation to be had related to when is it appropriate to meet people where they're at, a concept that is often tossed around in these conversations, but rarely gets fleshed out. What is an appropriate way to rehabilitate past ignorance and mistakes made in our modern society? Where exactly is the line of no return? It's tricky, I know, and it doesn't yield a satisfying one-size-fits-all black-and-white answer. But I think these are the conversations that are most crucial to have. Not the brand of cancel culture critique of the Dave Chappelle's of the world or the Kendrick's of the world that is just like, why are you mad, basically, and let me tell my jokes. But it's also not the cancel culture doesn't exist, so there's no more conversation to be had perspective on a concept that is getting so divisive and is causing so much harm to general conversation about real topics that the world needs to align on in one way, shape, or form. The point I'm stressing here is especially relevant in the context of Kendrick's inclusion of Kodak Black on this album, who pleaded guilty to assault in battery charges that stemmed from a sexual assault case a few years back. Because if Kendrick wanted to make a thought-provoking point on the perils of cancel culture, linking it to the humane ideas of rehabilitation in the context of Kodak Black atoning for his sins and learning and becoming this great, better person, I guess in theory it could have made sense. But instead, Kendrick puts Kodak on this album many times where he doesn't actually display any potential growth or learning or remorse from his past mistakes. Yet he's used as such a prominent cog and thematic device in this album as this symbol for growth from past mistakes stemming from childhood trauma. The the fit is there. Like the connection of why 
Kendrick could see something in Kodak, all of that. Like it makes sense given Kendrick's own history of abuse with his family and all of that. Like it, it makes sense. It's just where is this connection actually occurring? He's just putting it in our face and hoping that we make an imaginary story in our mind of Kodak being this archetype, this Mr. Morale archetype for redemption and transformation, which is why we cannot throw away the good folks like Kodak Black in the cancel culture coffin. Word to Aaron Rodgers there. So yeah, obviously, I think the Kodak inclusion was bullshit, even though I have to admit, I mean, I like his feature on Silent Hill. I thought it was really good. I'll be honest. I just don't get why he was included, and I think it was a huge missed opportunity. Now, if we take a step back here, I think the overall messaging on this album may have just finally been a step too grand and wide-spanning for even one of rap's greatest social commentators and conceptual writers. I feel if Kendrick would have sharpened his focus maybe on just one or a couple of these big topics, sexual trauma for example, I think the missteps would be less present. Because it's genuinely fascinating and powerful the way Kendrick unpacks sexual abuse so specifically. I really don't feel like I've heard it on an album unpacked to this degree with so many different angles being taken on multiple tracks. I think it's it's really Im- intriguing and really impressive, especially as it relates to how his experience around this concept of abuse impacted his own infidelity with his wife and his mother's previous traumas as well. Worldwide Steppers is an absolutely marvelous example of of when this album is just hitting on all cylinders. The beat is tense and just fucking unbelievable. I love it so much. And it is Kendrick's best rapping performance by far, the most distilled, laser-focused moment of lyricism on the album, and sees him recount sex with white women like racial payback. It's vicious. It is gross and so visceral. He also just generally details his unimpeachable lust for sleeping with women not named Whitney, his wife. And it's just very remarkable and and shocking to hear Kendrick talk like this because I, I never knew this, obviously, that he had this problem. But it also kind of, in hindsight, colors a lot of the previous sexually related Kendrick lyrics on his past records in a different light and it makes it make a lot more sense because I always found there was something awkward about it there was something strange about the way he would do that kind of content and I don't know it's just quite informative his performance feels like pure chaos it's so tense on this song and again I love how it ultimately sets the stage for us to explore the difficult history Kendrick has had with sex throughout his life. Mother I Sober, though, is the album's true climax where all of this comes to a head and ties this point up so beautifully. It details how his mother's abuse was connected to false beliefs 
that Kendrick himself was molested as a child to how all of this cycle of sexual abuse dates back to slavery, how slave masters would rape slaves and force them to rape each other, showing how that depraved evil begun a cycle of sexual torment in the black community that still is present to this day, sadly. It's just an outstanding track that was delivered to perfection, one of Kendrick's canon tracks for sure. Overall, I think Kendrick mostly did a good job and sometimes a fantastic job of articulating his thoughts on these very complex topics. But I think as he tried to be more raw and visceral on this album, I think it resulted in him being less poignant and less nuanced than he could have and should have been. But I do appreciate him wading in these very murky waters since his music will be discussed at length by a large amount of people and I think that's really important. Many of us have been sucked into the think piece aspect of this album, but it needs to be said, the production is simply outstanding on this record. It's interesting how Big Steppers features more pop elements in comparison to the previous most pop record from Kendrick Dam, yet Big Steppers is also simultaneously more out there in its execution. It's much more boundary pushing and unhinged, even if it's playing in more pop spaces. The beats are still hip hop, surely, but they're experimental with a foundational lens of production often being pop that has been mutated rather than a true blue hip hop one. On top of all that, the beats here are incredibly intricate and finely tuned for loud spaces and big speaker systems. Beats like Silent Hill and Savior are cutting edge and engineered to perfection. Silent Hill showcases one of Kendrick's finest moments of cute oddball pop appeal with a charming pew pew sound in the beat and the hook that is an instant earworm and instant classic in my opinion it's just hilarious i love it and then savior has this slightly subtle hypnotic background vocal that just keeps swirling and swirling as the beat loop gets closer and closer to its end it's an incredibly mesmerizing texture to a song that otherwise has a lot of great elements as well like these great thumping 808s that man i just i just love i just love this beat united in grief is a masterpiece of production too with these gorgeous tone setting piano chords and driving blast beat of drums that are so so exhilarating along with beautiful subtle hits of sax before the strings come in to close out the song on a dramatic high even the domestic dispute joint had an amazing instrumental from the alchemist that has a ton of little flourishes that you may not catch since the performances are so damn you know entertaining or uh noteworthy but damn it's a really really great beat the pharrell produced mr morale song is banging and features these occasional sustained vocal notes that are just magnificent just 
a lot of great care were put into the details in these beats that I just really give major, major props to. And even when the beats aren't the most bold and are a lot more pop friendly, like on Die Hard that has a rudimentary beat structure and pretty basic songwriting, the components that make up the sound are just really well chosen, really well executed. Die Hard has beautifully mixed percussion, atmospheric instrumentation, and great singing. AKA, even when the recipe is average on Big Steppers, the ingredients are country fresh. The only musical moments that didn't fly for me were the specific portions of N95 that have those cheap mid-2000s anthemic synths that just don't leave a good taste in my mouth, as well as the completely dry and boring piano-driven crown production that capped off one of Kendrick's worst songs ever put on a record. But all in all, this is Kendrick's most diverse-sounding album ever, and honestly by, f by a large margin, and I think it was amazingly put together musically. On Big Steppers, Kendrick continues down the path he was paving for himself on Dam, playing around with poppier elements and becoming even more experimental and expressive with his vocal delivery. A lot of this transition, especially related to pushing the bounds of his vocals, come from his cousin Baby Keem, who first got musically involved with Kendrick in the Dam sessions. His influence is strong on Kendrick now and almost feels like an Earl Mike situation where Keem was initially influenced by Kendrick and then Kendrick eventually drew back from Keem, the person he influenced and was influenced by Keem the other way. And I think this Keem influence pushing Kendrick into new directions is generally a good thing. As I feel Kendrick's poppier moments on this album are more interesting and well executed than they were on Dam, and the general desire to be more flexible and elastic in his vocal performances is something that makes this latest album very engaging because you really don't know where Kendrick's going to take each and every song. That leads to songs like Mr. Morale that work incredibly well and once again remind me of Kanye due to its Yeezus S production, but then also the weird grunts that feel like something Kanye regularly does nowadays and just feels like something, a vibe that he would put on a song and really shows how far Kendrick has come as a performer because on Damn, he wouldn't have been able to pull this off. The flexibility and fluidity in his delivery wouldn't have been to the level it needed to be back then. But now he kills this with a captivating energy and lyrics that still carried weight and made this song a roaring success. Kendrick adopts some different flows too on the Draco the Ruler inspired rich spirit that works remarkably well and is maybe the best candidate for a true club banger on this album. I think Kendrick's forays into different flows and vocal inflections work pretty well, but I'd still say isn't a fully realized end product just yet. For one, there is a notable lack of the tight, razor-sharp, energetic flow that Kendrick has been known for, which you can still find on tracks like Savior and United in Grief, which 
I would have vastly preferred over some of these Keem-esque experiments that we get from time to time. And additionally, but more importantly, we also still get this same singy-songy flow that Kendrick infamously, in my opinion, did on Love off of the damn record where it's nasally and almost whiny and it's just not the most appetizing thing for me. He does this many times on this album, like on Crown, that is just awful, and brings an otherwise good song down like Count Me Out and basically removes it from the great category, in my opinion, because even if the song still ends up sticking in my mind due to the chunky synths, the choir vocals, and genuine emotion behind Kendrick's performance, that singing line just doesn't fully do it for me. It's not that bad on this song, but it's just not the best at the same time either. Speaking of vocals, when it comes to the singing on this album, which is the most plentiful it ever has been on a Kendrick album, I like Kendrick singing historically, but mostly when it's the singing that is freakier, like on tracks like Pride off of Damn that I find so great. But when Kendrick tries to be a true blue R&B singer in his approach, the results are not always the sturdiest. When Kendrick takes his turn to sing on Die Hard, you can just tell that he's limited and forces his lyrics to be bland as a result of his lack of range. And you can still make great music, even if your singing isn't technically proficient. But if you compare him to another rapper who can't actually sing well, Kanye, you can spot the difference immediately. Not only is Kanye actually a more serviceable singer from a technical perspective, like he can hit a note from time to time, more importantly, he's way more dynamic as a vocal performer and is clumsy, but not in a grating way. The same can't be said for Kendrick. Kendrick's clumsy singing moments tend to fall flat to my ear. The last key element of the songwriting that I found was really prominent on this album is this distinct theatrical flair that permeates many of these records, giving it a level of drama that complements just about every other element of this album. Many songs like United in Grief, Mother I Sober, Auntie's Diaries, utilize prominent swells of strings to evoke emotion and a sense of urgency in the listener that like, hey, this is an important part of the song. It's something that is a more of a thing in movie scores and prog rock, but I really appreciate it. I think it added a really nice dynamic to the album. And so as a major commercial release coming from a marquee name, unsurprisingly, we had some big name features on this album. Kodak, as we already talked about at length, aside, we had features that were generally, in my opinion, well-placed throughout the track list, but with some notable exceptions. On the good side, Mother I Sober, man, Beth Gibbons was perfect. Beth Gibbons of Portishead was such a good fit for a crushing song like this due to her trademark soft voice that is so delicate, feels as if it could crumble at any moment. This is the same voice that drove classic Portishead songs like It Could Be Sweet to Perfection, 
where you feel compelled as the listener to want to go find her and just give her a hug. And that vibe was completely carried out on Mother I Sober and was just a slam dunk. Getting a literal actor in Taylor Page makes We Cry Together work and was just a great decision by Kendrick because her raw performance is what makes me want to listen to this song past that first initial shocking listen. Blast impressed the hell out of me on Die Hard. I just think his vocals sounded so smooth and and just really made that song a hit to me. But a notable disappointment was on Purple Hearts. Even with a beautifully bright and pretty beat, Kendrick is just okay at best and isn't helped by Summer Walker, who is, look, I'm not a fan. And she absolutely did nothing to change my mind on this feature. She sounds like an off-brand Janae Aiko or SZA with just way less charisma and soul. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. And she got way too much runway on a song that was generally way too long to begin with. But it was saved by an otherwise beautiful, amazing feature from Ghostface. Man, he sounded so passionate and really saved this song. Above all though, when it comes to the features, especially after a five year wait, I'm just glad this album is mostly all Kendrick and features his voice primarily. The features did add to the experience at times, I did enjoy most of them, but at the end of the day, didn't take away from the main character and that is Kendrick and I think the spotlight was appropriately put on him and his various demons. Going into this album from an artist that has given the culture a full career's worth of impactful music and then some, the number one thing I wanted, all I wanted really, was for him to keep pushing himself and the proverbial envelope. Give us something that he put his heart into that still feels bold, still feels like he's trying, and he absolutely did that. I commend him for not tap dancing around so many important conversations us as a society need to have but was the message always clearly articulated i wouldn't say so but more often than not it is and it's very impactful mr morale and the big steppers is kendrick lamar at his most daring and his most human admitting that he isn't necessarily the deep conscious, infallible guy many have propped him up to be. Instead, he's just a guy from Compton who grew up a certain way and is trying to address his trauma and unlearn some ignorant perspectives that stem from this difficult upbringing. And I think it's very noble and resulted in an album that is absolutely one of his best and was well worth the wait. So there we have it, another episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this episode gave you some new perspectives and insights into what the greatest art form known to man in hip-hop music has to offer. If you want to support the show in the most meaningful way possible, it would be my absolute honor to have you as a patron in the new Rap Music Plug podcast Patreon. Through this Patreon, you will be getting exclusive content such as 
bonus episodes, exclusive album recommendations, exclusive playlists, early access to episodes, and more. And above all though, you will be able to support the show directly in a way that will not only justify the crazy amount of time I spend on this show already, but allow me to cover some of the expenses related to supporting all of these great artists that we cover on the show through the website and will allow us to sustain and build on this amazing growth that the RMPP has experienced recently. Big shout out to Dano of Free Music Empire, Levi, Mahima, Jeff, Mitch, Dash Lewis, Pancake Cleaner, Trey, Noah, Justin, Brandon, Joe, Gavin, Matt, Teddy Faley, Jackson, Kian, Slumber Logic, Fatman Tomb, and Khalid for your generous support through the Patreon. I really appreciate it. So if you have any questions about any of the Patreon stuff or just want to keep tabs on the show, interact with me on rap music and all the great stuff that we can talk about, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rapmusicplugpod or shoot me an email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on YouTube and Spotify as well. But that's enough self-promotion for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Peace.